Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining is my good buddy, Andrew Berkshire. Andrew, what's going on, man? Not much. Just hanging out, uh, you know, Sunday off, getting ready for uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. Mm, yes. Well, we are recording this on the Sunday. We're going to run it Monday morning, so hopefully people have time to listen to it before puck drop of Game 1. Um, this is becoming a bit of a... I believe you and I did the Stanley Cup Final preview on the PDO cast last year as well, so maybe this is becoming a uh, an annual tradition on our part. For sure. How wrong were we? I think we were pretty right, actually. Like, Yeah? <sighs> I'd have to go back and listen to it, um, but I, I believe we like raised questions about Becca Rene, which wound up looking correct in that series. Um, but other than that, I mean, I don't know. That series sort of played out the way people thought. Like, I think for the most part, people were picking the Penguins to to win just because they had too much firepower up front. But I don't know. Maybe uh, I'm sure someone's going to go back and listen and be like, actually, you guys are wrong on this, 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 and this. So, <laughs> I mean, if they don't, what's the internet for, right? It's true. It's true. Um, man, I'm living life on the edge right now. I have a, uh, I have one of my Sportsnet articles and one of yours open right now in a tab because I want to cite some stats later on. And uh, that autoplay video could come on at any point. So, uh, oh, no. <laughs> so if you hear some mysterious uh, loud noises at some point, that's what's going on. So uh, hopefully that doesn't <laughs> Either happen. Either that or uh, a very cranky baby is screaming in the background. So we'll see. He's locked in his bedroom right now with his mom. So mm, there might be... Uh, an evacuation at some point you never know okay cool um so we are going to deep dive this series um i'd like to i've given it some thought now that we've had a couple days off here um and i wrote a bit of a preview on sportsnet.ca that people should go check out but i want to kind of just cover it from every angle possible so that if someone is just tuning in right now and they haven't really been following the playoffs they're gonna be able to listen to this one hour show or so and and feel like they're prepared for what's gonna happen so hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to live up to that hype uh, i hope so i mean uh, i feel like my my ability to hype up the pdo cast is somewhat lessened by the fact that i was wrong about like all of the last series <laughs> like in the last two rounds except i think one i think i got one right Yes. Um, yeah, the final four, I had no none of the four teams uh, competing in the conference finals in my bracket. Oh, no. um, 
So, but you know what? That's that's the beauty of the playoffs, and I sort of acknowledge it. And I'm, I've I've long passed the point of like caring about that sort of stuff. I mean, obviously, it'd be cool to get it right, but I mean, there's so much variance involved. And I, I don't know. I just maybe yeah, you and I aren't the two people who are qualified to be partaking in this conversation. Considering I think we both had we wrote we both wrote at various times how the Capitals are going to lose to the Jackets in round one, and how they were like the the bust pick for for this year's bracket when we did our little preview thing for the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, maybe whatever we say, just take the opposite and you'll probably wind up winning some money. Yeah, uh, the way I see it is like twofold. Uh, if you're afraid of being wrong or you like take it too seriously, you probably shouldn't write things because mm. like you're going to be wrong eventually, probably on something big. And the other thing is I've picked the Capitals to win the Cup so many times in the last like decade and then this year i've picked against them every single round and they've won every time so in my estimation capitals fans should be thanking me personally because i'm the reason why they're in the Stanley Cup final yeah to go back and read what we wrote for the uh 2016-17 postseason i believe both you and i had blurbs in our in our preview for the for that playoffs about how why why the capitals are going to win the cup so if you yeah. just go back and read that um just you know omit the names shaddenkirk <laughs> and i guess i wouldn't have been writing about crawls or anyways but just ignore Maybe some Justin of the details Williams. yeah yeah just ignore some of those details and just uh just pretend that we were just ahead of our time um okay so here's a good starting point I was thinking about this the other day. So let's say you go back to before the season. Obviously, the fact that Vegas is here competing in the Stanley Cup final is the biggest surprise and the biggest storyline. And and obviously, there's no rivaling that. But I think if you rewind to, let's say, like right before round one started, right before the postseason when we were doing those previews, um, is there a case to be made that the fact that the Capitals made it to this point this year is actually more surprising like from that timeline just because of who they had to go through and sort of when we were when we were doing our brackets like I remember looking at the Pacific Division side for example I was like I don't really know which of these teams is going to advance but one of them is going to get a pretty easy path toward to the Western Conference final and then at that point you know if Winnipeg and, and Nashville beat each other up maybe that team will be a bit more susceptible and there's a scenario even though it's unlikely that one of these Pacific Division teams is going to be representing the West in the in the in the Stanley Cup Final. Whereas for the Capitals, I mean, we were pretty openly picking the Jackets to beat them, and then the Penguins, and then the Lightning. And it seems like, you know, every step of the way, it's been highly unlikely that they were going to advance, and they've managed to keep doing it. So I don't know. It's just funny because the whole narrative is like, I can't believe Vegas is here, but I'm like, I can't believe Washington's here. Yeah, I feel like if you look at how each team played in the regular season, I think we would probably both agree that Vegas was better than the caps in the regular season, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I guess it's not as surprising. I feel like the only thing that makes it more surprising for Vegas still, despite all the like healthy skepticism and you, you see how well they've actually played is how quickly they tossed Winnipeg. Like I know that there were like, there was a bit of bad luck in there for Winnipeg for sure. And you know, flurry has been great and uh, Vegas is opportunistic, but five games, Right, but that that wasn't one of those. That wasn't one of those. I mean, yeah, it's five games, and I think maybe if we look back at it a few years from now, we'll kind of forget how that series played out, and you'll go like, "Oh, that was a pretty quick series." But I think like it was pretty hotly contested, especially a couple of those games in Vegas, like the third periods where Mark Andre Fleury just standing on his head. And if you replay those like ten times, I bet Winnipeg wins at least a handful of them. So, yeah, it's it was five games, but I feel like that's sort of doing a disservice to how um, how much Winnipeg pushed them in that series. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I believe wasn't like the fifth game, uh, it was tied with like three minutes left and then 
Vegas scored. They just find a way to do these like heartbreaking <laughs> plays. Right. No, that was no, the, they, uh, teams. no, well, they, yeah, they, it was tied there. And then I know I think it was the second period actually. And, and Reeves scored second? that goal, but it was from like Lucas Bees. And I was like, okay, if they're going to, they're going to win this series on a goal from Ryan Reeves by assisted by Lucas Biza. Um, everything's aligning yeah. for them. Yeah. No, but I mean, there, yeah, I think, I think what you're also referring to there is like, there was a handful of times in that series where Winnipeg would tie it up and then within like 20 seconds, Vegas would just come back down and score. And I know, um, you know, it might not be the most like analytical thing, but there, there is a certain sort of psychological uh, element to that. I imagine where it's like, you finally tie back up and then this team just comes back and scores on the next shift. And you're just like, Oh my God, we got to do this again. Got to beat flurry <laughs> one more time. Again. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. We had a quick strike attack. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, like you said, it, the, the capitals, I, I didn't expect not only did I not expect them to make it this far, what's most surprising for me about the Capitals is how well they've played in making it this far. They haven't like just ridden Braden Holt be playing spectacularly all the way. Like They thoroughly outplayed the Tampa Bay Lightning in that series. Uh, I was shocked at how badly... They were able to outplay them in terms of scoring chances, high danger scoring chances, you know, everything. At even strength, the, the series wasn't that close. So outside of uh, Vasilevsky stealing a few games and Holtby having, you know, not the greatest series up until game six and seven, uh, that one was a bit of, uh, you know, the, the Capitals just ramming the puck into the net as many times as possible, you know, a car smashing into a wall until the wall breaks down and, I, I was really shocked at how well the Capitals have been and been playing. Like it, they're full value. Both of these teams are. Like it, it's easy to look at them and say, even though they won their division, and say like these are two Cinderella teams, and it's the first time in the NHL where two like un, underdogs have made it at the same time. Hmm. But neither of them have played like underdogs. They, they've been really, really good. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, I remember like when I was thinking about that Eastern Conference Final and how it would play out before it started. I was like, okay, well. I, I think Washington can win. I think Tampa Bay is the at least like slight favorite, but Washington's path would be, you know, get hot on the power play. Braden Holby plays out of his mind. And then you're like watching that series unfold and they're holding their own at five on five. And then that game four that they lost at home where it's like Vasilevsky's just playing out of his mind and Tampa Bay scoring a bunch of power play goals. And you're like, what, what's going on here? Like it's, it, it was just, yeah, the, the script got flipped on its head entirely and you have to give, credit to Washington um it was just one of those things where based on their regular season profile I think there was plenty of reason to be skeptical on you know how good they were whether their depth would be able to hold up and even though they were winning so many games in the regular season when they ran into some of these better 515 teams whether you know territorially it would just become too overwhelming for them to keep up but they have pretty much throughout either you know held serve or actually dominated and it's been it's been surprising I'm not sure like what what to make of it I I don't know, like what what are we attributing that to? Because obviously something changed. Like it's not one of those things where they're playing the exact same way in terms of either stylistically or the results that they did in the regular season, and they're just getting luckier. Like it's they're they're definitely playing better. I'm just kind of curious what happened beyond just you know saying oh they flipped the switch or or they were waiting for the postseason because I don't think that's it either. Yeah, I mean, like I I kind of tossed around the idea that. Washington could have been playing possum a little bit in the regular season and, you know, taking their foot off the gas pedal a little bit in order to save energy for the playoffs. Cause a few people, especially, you know, like Washington bloggers were hoping that that was the case, right? Because mm. they want, uh, some change in the playoffs and they, they obviously got it, but, uh, it doesn't make sense based on who, 
carried the torch for them all season, right? right. Like you're not going to tell Braden Holtby to be mediocre all year. That doesn't really make sense. And if there's one guy that you don't want to tire himself out, it's probably Alex Ovechkin. And Ovechkin like dragged that team tooth and nail to <laughs> to the to the top of their division. Like he was absolutely incredible this year. Uh, one of his best seasons in a couple years now, and doing it a little bit older. He's he's playing, you know, uh, faster than he has been in the last couple seasons. He's skating more, uh, more involved in the transition. Uh, you know, it doesn't make sense that they'd be coasting on Ovechkin in the regular season, and then Ovechkin's like, no, I'll just turn it up to eleven in the right in the playoffs too. Like at a certain point, even he has to get tired. So that doesn't make sense for me. So there's got to be something else there, but I, I don't know what it could be outside of the difference between, you know, scouting for a specific team that you're going to play a bunch of times in a row versus the gauntlet of the regular season. And it might just be that this year trots and company and that coaching staff has just done a phenomenal job in preparation. And mm. I, I can't really think of anything else other than that. I mean, you can look at what they're doing on the ice and you know what they're accomplishing differently, but I feel like it's tough to get a, a your head wrapped around what specifically system wise you can do just with, uh, with numbers, you know, like you can get some little things like they're attacking more off the rush, but you know, is that something that they just figured out before the playoffs that they should attack off the rush more? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> get the puck to Ovechkin with, uh, with space and speed and, and good things will happen. That's a, that's yeah, a new like, thing that they just figured out. Yeah. They just figured out, get the puck to Kuznetsov to uh, enter the zone. I, I think they knew that already, you know, like at this point that roster has been together for a long enough time that, you know, most of the guys, they know what their strengths and weaknesses are. It's not like Vegas where it was this uh, hodgepodge of, of uh, players that they put together and tried to optimize in every possible way. It's it's the same guys as usual, the same core as usual, and they've just gotten it done to an extent that they didn't in the regular se- regular season. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know it's it's one of those things where you know whenever we watch these playoffs, we try to um, sort of glean you know nuggets of wisdom or stuff that we can um use moving forward to like oh well how is why is this team being successful what happened here can someone replicate it in the future and i think you can sometimes get into a bit of danger with that like with what with vegas this year for example i think they're doing obviously a lot of stuff really well but when your goalie has a 947 save percentage um that'll make everything look quite a bit better and i don't know, necessarily know if that's a strategy the team should be <laughs> trying to emulate uh moving forward because it's very hard to to replicate but for the capitals like it's not even like you can point to what's happened in the postseason so far and go like, man, they're they're getting super lucky here. Like I know, like you know, winning eight out of ten games in the road or whatever seems kind of like random and and just one of those things that'll happen. And obviously, you know, the last couple overtime games they've won and Brayden Holby has played well, but for the most part, it does seem like it's a pretty legitimate um, formula that they've stumbled upon. And I guess yeah, it might just be one of those things where we we might not we shouldn't overthink it because they obviously have a lot of good players and maybe we were just being a bit too critical during the regular season because of all the baggage and because of all um, they went through in the past years, especially how all in we, like you and I were last year on them just because of how deep they were and how they seem like, you know, the perfect team. And it's just shocking that they didn't wind up winning the cup. So maybe we kind of went too far the other way. And if you just looked at them in a vacuum, you'd be like, yeah, this is like a pretty good team with a lot of good players and I could see them making a run. I don't know. It might just be simple as that. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe it's just like too many analysts have been burned taking <laughs> taking the Capitals so many yeah. times, and it's just you know you, you overemphasize all their negatives because you just don't want to be burned this time. And you the time that you're finally fed up, they're like, oh, okay, we figured it out this time. We we got the right breaks that uh, everybody else, everybody else has been getting against us for mm-hmm. the last however many years. And I mean, even you know that that series against the Lightning, I don't think until like game six and seven that uh, Washington got many breaks, you know, I thought they were full value that entire series. And, you know, if anything, Vasilevsky was extraordinarily good at five on five and the Capitals needed to, to hammer home on the power play just to, you know, stay in the, that uh, series while they lost the the three games in a row Mm -hmm. where, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, see the third game that the lightning played very well and they kind of assumed that all three games that the lightning won were that way but the first two games that the lightning took in washington i don't think the lightning were the better team i think they got the breaks more yep. than washington did yeah for sure game five was really the only game at home where especially like you know they got that goal in the first shift and then at that first period was a big big time kind of landslide and then at that point they either went up i think two nothing or three nothing yeah they went up three nothing and then at that point it was sort of over and Washington scored a couple goals to make the score line look competitive but that was really the only game where watching it you're like okay like tampa finally is sort of asserting themselves and this series is playing out the way we thought it would otherwise it was even or decidedly in washington's favor and that was uh yeah i guess just credit goes to them so okay so you know, when we were doing this podcast last year, like I mentioned, we sort of highlighted all, the obvious matchup was like, how are the Predators going to use their top two defense pairs to combat uh, Crosby and Malkin's line? How are those matchups going to shake out? Can they get the better of it? Um, when you're kind of projecting this series, what is what's the one matchup you're looking at where you're like, you know, I'm very curious to see how this plays out because whoever gets the better of it could is is ultimately probably going to wind up winning and i guess the obvious the obvious thing you point to is the goaltending but is there like a skater versus skater matchup or some sort of other element of the series that you're looking at that uh intrigues you the most yeah i'm I'm super interested to see what the capitals do against marcia so's line because you know the the marcia line has been by far their best line but their other lines haven't really been slouches they just haven't really been scoring as as much so obviously you're gonna you're gonna wait all of your your checking against that line but i i wonder if they're gonna end up going with say like the lars eller line which is more uh defensively responsible or if they try to go power on power and you know can ovi and kuznetsov overpower that marshall line i mean i would like to see what happens? I think that's super interesting because you've got these two established, essentially superstars, and also Tom Wilson, who, as much as you know, he's got many things that he doesn't that I don't like about his game. Uh, he's played really well in the playoffs outside of the uh, the dirty hits. Uh, I think that line's really good. I'm not sure who has the advantage there. I mean, obviously Vegas has the speed advantage, mm. but. I mean, they don't have Ovechkin. As much as Bill Carlson has uh, put lots of pucks in the net, I think he's up to 49 in the regular season and playoffs now. I would still bet on Ovechkin being the guy that uh, gets checked most tightly. And that was actually one thing that Tampa Bay did really well Hmm. was checking Ovechkin, and it ended up not really mattering. Like, he still (laughs) found ways to get the puck in. He he now, because of how tightly they were checking him on that right circle, like his sweet spot. Mm. He moved his, his shooting position essentially almost out to the blue line. And he's, he's now leading the playoffs in uh, goals from the perimeter with, I think four. Yeah. He's just, you just can't stop him. You know, like there's, there's, 
there's a certain unfamiliar unfamiliarity with the way that Vegas attacks and the players that are their stars, I guess you would say. Hmm. But Ovechkin, it doesn't matter how familiar you are. So yes, yeah. I, I guess that's like what what makes me lean Washington in that matchup. Yeah, yeah, I think everyone. I mean, that's the greatness of Ovechkin, right? I think everyone knows exactly what he's trying to do and what he wants to do, what he's good at. But after all these years, it's still impossible to stop. You know, there's been a, a few times throughout the years where people are like, oh, you know, this person or this player has figured out how to play Ovechkin best. And then he just keeps coming back and doing it anyways. But, you know, it's interesting you bring that up about how Tampa Bay, um, you know, checked him well and seemed to have a good game plan because I think like directly speaking, they did. But in more subtle ways, I think, that was sort of a win for Washington, how that played out. Cause I thought, oh, yeah. I thought John Cooper in that series, um, I know everyone loves John Cooper and, um, you know, cause his personality seems super outgoing. And I think he's generally labeled as a pretty progressive hockey mind. And I think, you know, people seem to put him in that category of, of top end coaches. But in this series, I really thought he did himself in the lightning a bit of a disservice by how aggressively he was you know, like going out of his way to use that fourth line against Ovechkin and, and sort of trying to match so, um, so tightly that I really thought it kind of threw the lightning for a loop. And I thought maybe they should have just focused on what they were doing a bit more instead. And it seemed like it was kind of taking his own top guys out of the series because he was so heavily concentrating all their efforts on slowing down Washington guys. So it's one of those things where they might have slowed Ovechkin down a little bit, but just by how much they invested in that, like it sort of was detrimental to them in the long term, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it was. And like, it's one of those things where, yeah, like you said, in the small scope, they did a good job keeping Ovechkin out of scoring areas for most of the series. But yeah, I mean, I think you were the one who tweeted that uh, Kucherov and Stamkos were under 18 minutes a game in that series, right? Mm-hmm. Which, in a, man, in the conference finals, you can't be doing that. And I love John Cooper. I, probably the best quote of all coaches in the business right. and clearly a very smart guy. But, yeah, that's that was a mistake. Uh, Braden Point was probably the biggest reason why they were able to do that and still push the series to seven outside of uh, Vasilevsky at 5-on-5. But uh, the other thing is, they they covered Ovechkin really well in the power play, but in doing so, man, TJ Oshie piled up scoring chances in that series in the power play to an absurd degree. Right. Uh, you know, he didn't necessarily tilt the series in terms of goals, but he's a pretty good player. Even if he had an offseason, I wouldn't want to be giving TJ Oshie, you know, 10 shots every couple games from the middle of the slot. Like that's, it's not the best strategy. I'm not saying you have to leave Ovechkin open, but you can't commit so badly that you're leaving that, you know, inner slot completely unmanned essentially for, for a guy as talented as Oshie to, to rip shots that like, yeah well no it, they, it's it's a tough choice it is and that's why it's it's always silly to me when people go like oh how can you how can you leave Ovechkin open after he gets one of those what timers to go in and the defenseman might be off of him a bit and it's like well the alternative is what we've seen a lot this postseason where it's TJ Oshie getting them from even better scoring locations because they're more centered and it just it's it's tough I mean to his credit I know sometimes we sort of you know we rip on Oshie and the contract and I still believe that that was a mistake in the long term and you know the opportunity cost of it like they could have used that money better elsewhere but he is really well suited uh in terms of his skill set for that role it does feel like he's just awesome at 
connecting on that one timer from that spot, even regardless of if the puck's bouncing or where he's receiving it from. And I think that's a legitimate skill. And obviously when you have, um, even though he's banged up in less than a hundred percent, when you have a guy like Backstrom orchestrating it and sort of picking his spots in terms of who he wants to dish the puck to there. And, and Carlson from the top has also done a good job himself. So there's just so many weapons there that we see time and time again, it's kind of pick your poison where if you lean too much one way, then they'll gladly take whatever you give them. And there's no necessary right answer. You sort of have to, just hope that your goalie is going to be able to see the puck well enough to stop it or just hope that some maybe the, the passes get flubbed a little bit because otherwise i mean there were certain points in that series where they're just they're just whipping it around and and getting it into these prime scoring locations and you're like and you're just at their mercy pretty much yeah it, it's it's incredible and you look at some of the the numbers like uh i'm sure you saw sean tierney uh tweeting out uh the, the the picture of like all the players who've played in the playoffs so far, their shots versus their scoring chances. And it's like this big clump in the center and then Ovechkin like yep. four inches across the graph in the top. Right. And it's like once again, like this guy, it doesn't matter what age he is. You give him enough games and he's just obliterating the league and, and just getting the puck to the net. He, it's, it's unbelievable. Uh and this has been true all postseason, but I really thought in games six and seven, like he was freaking flying, flying around like a lunatic out there. It was yes. like, it was, and that's it looked the, like 22 year old Ovechkin. Yeah. That's the insane part to me. If you, if you consider, because, you know, he never really misses time. I was talking about this with Craig Cousins earlier. Like he just seems like sort of in, indestructible, um, just in the way he's like, he's built and the fact that he throws his body around with such reckless abandon, especially early in his career. And he hasn't really missed any significant period of time with injury is is mind-blowing to me and one of his sort of most underrated qualities and then the fact that yeah he has so much so many miles on him and you'd expect that he'd be able to he'd be slowing down kind of now and maybe he could still be effective but he physically wouldn't be the same guy and then you watch some of these games and you're like man like how like what's going on here he's just he's everywhere it seems like and it's one of those things where he's not just throwing hits just for the sake of throwing hits like there's an actual functionality to it as well so yeah i mean It'll be fascinating to see how Wash uh, how Vegas decides to play him. I don't think there's necessarily one right answer. You just got to sort of have to make life a bit more difficult for him and hope you slow him down even ever so slightly. But as you mentioned, like the line matching component of this is really um, a fascinating subplot to me because throughout this postseason, we've seen Gerard Glant has not only um, sort of been okay with it, but at times he's actually sought out using that Carlson line with Marshall Stone Smith against other teams top guys I'm, I mean like in round one they're primarily used against Kopitar and then round two was sort of split between Couture's line and Pavelski's line but I think that's because you know they didn't really have a de facto number one line it was sort of between those two and then in round three we saw him a lot against Shifley although as the series went along they started using Eakins line a bit more but if Vegas is going to go out of their way in these home games especially to use to go power versus power there and go line one versus line one. Like, I don't think that's, I don't think Washington should be freaking out about that, but I imagine when the games get back to Washington, Trotz is going to make a much more considered effort to get Backstrom out against those top guys, right? Just to free up Ovechkin and Kuznetsov a little bit with fewer defensive responsibilities and hopefully get them some more, uh, more looks in the offensive zone. So that's going to be interesting because it does seem like those two teams, just based on how they're composed would like this series to play out a different way. And whichever coach gets the better of that could ultimately wind up determining how this plays out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so interesting because like you said, that Marshall Carlson line, like 
They are phenomenal offensively, and they it's have actually called the, the Riley Smith line. Yes, the oh, Riley Smith line. Yes. Sorry, it's it's actually called the Florida line, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Dale Talon line plus yeah. Carlson. Uh, but they're great defensively too. I know when I wrote my uh, article towards the end of the season talking about Selkie candidates, I got a bunch of angry Vegas fans saying like, not including Bill Carlson in there was uh, was like an insult. And he, he was good. He wasn't quite that good, but he's been full value in the playoffs. Same with Marshall. So like those guys, they just. I'm gonna sound super old school here, but they just try. They try really hard every mm. shift. Like they're full on balls to the wall all the time. Yes. Yeah, no, they are. They, and you could say that about the whole team. And, and it, I know it does sound cliche, but I, I think it, I mean, it's like, there's a functionality to it. Just kind of like what I said with Ovechkin's hitting, where it's like, they're not just chasing the puck and being slow. So it looks like they're trying, like they're just tenacious on the forecheck mm-hmm. and converting so much of that into offense. And it's, yeah, so it's, it's, you know, when we think of the conventional forecheck and you think of, you know, you get the puck in deep and then you go and you, you hit the defenseman and you hope to dislodge the puck and create turnovers that way. And they have guys like Ryan Reeves and, and, you know, a bigger body like Alex Tuck and certain guys like that who can do that. But for the most part, like what makes this team's forecheck so devastating is that foot speed and that tenaciousness where they close the gap so quickly and then their sticks are just so active and it seems like they're just causing so many deflections and turnovers and it sort of throws the opposing team's defenseman for a loop where it just, I think the pace kind of gets away from them and then like one small mistake leads to another one and all of a sudden starts snowballing. Like it, it did feel like watching that Winnipeg series, especially like Winnipeg has a bunch of defensemen who are very capable and can do a bunch of stuff with a puck. It's not like they're stiffs. And as that series went along, like it, it felt like they were sort of like hearing the footsteps a little bit and they were trying to get rid of the puck faster than they otherwise would like to. And it was leading to uncharacteristic turnovers. And I thought that was like one of the biggest stories of the series where what what I what, what I would otherwise consider to be a very legitimate group got exposed a little bit just because of how Vegas was playing them and they Winnipeg never really had an answer and obviously uh, Washington's going to view that watch that tape and I don't know if they have the weapons to kind of account for that and do a better job of breaking out of their own zone but that's I think going to be the next kind of facet of the game that I'm going to be watching because if that continues um, obviously this series is going to tip in Vegas's favor quite a bit. Yeah, I, I feel like the the one thing that sticks out to me for for like the matchup game is it seems like in terms of generating chances at like evens, Washington's a bit more top heavy. It's kind of like the top two lines and and Lars Eller, who you know I've always been a big fan of Lars Eller. He's pretty underrated. I was shocked to find out that he's third in even strength scoring chances in the entire playoffs. Mm which is nuts. Uh, you know, obviously him and Braden point are, uh, quite far behind Alex Ovechkin, but they're <laughs> right. in second and third. But, uh, I'm interested to see if Vegas's like more depth heavy approach ends up hurting Washington, like down the stretch of the series, you know, like you, you see guys like, especially at this stage in the playoffs, get a little bit more tired. Maybe that they're a bit more, uh, held back by that. But one thing that I, I think that uh, I, I love about this Vegas team is you don't see all the after the whistle stuff. Mm. For whatever reason, they're like very focused on not doing it. And it, it just seems like it works to me. Like they don't engage in it. They're just how they're in the game all the time. So I wonder if a guy like Tom Wilson will get them off their game or if it's just he's going to be useless in that area. Yeah, I mean, I can already see what's going to happen here. And 
of all the things to be excited <laughs> about in this series, I can tell people are going to get just so attached to the Tom Wilson versus Ryan Reeves thing and blow it out of proportion. Sure. And it's going to become a big story, and I'm just going to be over here rolling my eyes, waiting for the teams to play actual hockey, because I think there's a lot to like in that department, and we should focus on that instead. Um, Although I would, I'd be, I'd be game for some Ryan Reeves, like trash talk. Like, mm, yeah, for sure. Bringing up like, you know, he already took single handedly took out Dustin Bufflin. So who's Tom Wilson? Right. And the Don Cherry stuff is, is crazy about con- attributing a ton of success to a ton of Vegas success to Ryan Reeves, especially like in the conference final when like he played his first game in the elimination game. And it's like, Oh yeah, he, he's done so much for his team, but he, has been useful so it's it's not a complete disaster so there's let's just focus on that stuff instead um let's uh let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor and we're going to pick up uh the conversation about the matchups and some of the other stuff to look for in the series let's take a second here to chat about SeatGeek. um they're sponsoring today's show and much like a timely save from your goalie or a game-winning goal in overtime uh they're incredibly clutch because they're taking what can be a complicated and confusing process in you know searching a bunch of different ticket sites and trying to find the best deals and the best prices um they're going to take that and make it as easy um and effortless for you as possible because they're really going to do all the grunt work for you they're going to search all those sites for you put together all the best deals and then put it all in this color-coded uh map that basically grade seats based on value so that you can very easily just you know depending on what your price range is and what you're looking for uh pick out the best deal and be good to go in a matter of minutes uh i have SeatGeek on my phone i use it all the time i like i've said before i unfortunately haven't been getting out to too many uh events the past couple months because of the postseason and how um that pretty much just takes up all my time these days but you know the weather's getting nicer now uh concert and festival seasons around the corner um baseball there's a bunch of opportunities to do uh, a lot of really cool stuff and go to a bunch of events this summer during the off season so i'll certainly be using them and i highly recommend it regardless of whether it's a sporting event or a concert or uh you know a stand-up comedy show or whatever whatever it is that you could think of that you want to go to um Go check them out, and I guarantee you won't regret it. Um, and the best of all is, as my listener today, you're actually going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. You just got to download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code PDO today. That's promo code PDO for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, let's get back to the show. Okay. Um, so, when I was thinking about this, that Vegas forecheck and sort of how um, Washington is going to attack it and sort of how they're going to try to do something that pretty much uh, the three other teams before them weren't capable of solving it. And I keep coming back to the fact that as crazy as this sounds, um, considering some of the names in the series, I think Dmitry Orlov might be like the most pivotal skater in this series, which sounds like a crazy thing to say, but just based on how good he's been in this postseason and how much um, I think Capitals are going to rely on him to make stuff happen for them in the transition game in this series. Um, like I think how he plays is gonna be is gonna go a long, long way towards determining how some of these games play out. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, a lot of the focus is on John Carlson on their de- on that defense, you know, with Matt Niskanen kind of not being as good the last couple of years. Hmm. But Orlov has been phenomenal. He, he, I think, the big thing from Orlov, outside of just you know he's been good in all areas, has been his ability to make big like showtime plays, mm-hmm. like. At, at big times, and like I don't want to say necessarily 
that uh, you know he's not making like timely saves like Marc Andre Fleury or anything, right. but uh, he's he's just been there with these fantastic moves at like big key moments for the Capitals, and he just has no fear. And I love that in a defenseman, an offensive defenseman. He's pulled the old, like, spinorama at the blue line with nobody covering for him. And everyone's like, oh, no. And then yep. it turns out to a goal for Washington. So I love that. I think he's just entertaining to watch. Yeah, he's one of those guys where when he makes a mistake, it's going to be, like, a very ugly, obvious one that will lead yep. to either a scoring chance against or a goal against. And then people just latch onto that. And they're like, oh, this guy's too too risky. But the good with obviously outweighs the bad with him and i love you're so right about that i love the in the offensive zone he like has this calmness and patience with the puck and so often you see like a defenseman just tries to hammer the puck as soon as they get it up there at the point and it just like goes into a group of bodies and it immediately just gets knocked down and gets sent back the other way with him he's like waiting for these lanes to open up and he's just kind of dancing around on the blue line and i imagine obviously at certain points uh barry trust's blood pressure is probably rising quite a bit but um it's really fun to watch and it's been super effective and he's blown me away i think like out of the you know there's the category obviously of all the obvious brand name uh star defensemen but in terms of like the more um under the radar guys who are really making names for themselves and really uh popping in this postseason like him and actually funny enough in this series uh shea theodore are two guys who have really just blown me away by how effective they've been not just not just with the puck but also defensively as well in terms of uh how aggressive they've been in defending their own blue line and sort of just how capable they are of playing in in all three zones so i think um that's going to be something to watch for because obviously Orlov and Iskinen are going to play against the Marshall line quite a bit, but it does seem like Barry Trotz is a bit more comfortable uh, using Carlson and Kempney against those top guys as well. Whereas with Gallant, like I imagine Schmidt and McNabb are going to be out on the ice against Lovechkin and Kuznetsov at every single possible opportunity. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Nate Schmidt because I'm just like looking through and seeing like we're talking about Orlov and, you know, how important he is to the, the transition. And I'm looking at uh, the defensemen left in the playoffs who've completed like the most uh, transition plays per 60 at mm-hmm. 5-1-5. And it's uh, number one, Nate Schmidt, then number two, Shea Theodore, yep. and number three, Dmitry Orlov. So those are like your guys that you're looking at who are going to try to push things right from the like the back end of the zone right up to this front but you look at uh, the forwards and there's not as many on Vegas who are capable of making those high end transition plays that it's the defense who've been carrying them there whereas uh, for for Washington Kuznetsov phenomenal Lars Eller super underrated he's right there around the same amount of uh, completed plays as Shea Theodore and uh, it, it's a long scroll down after uh, Jakob Brana until you get to the first Vegas forward, which is Bill Carlson. So it's uh, it's interesting to see. You know, like one team, they kind of run things from both their offense and defense up the ice, whereas Vegas kind of lets their defensemen make the plays and then the the uh, forwards take over in the offensive zone. Yeah, no, you're right. That, that definitely matches what, what you're seeing. Like it does feel like Eller and Kuznetsov and some of those guys um, – do come back down in the defensive zone quite a bit in the play and, and sort of like there's a lot of end-to-end rushes especially by Kuznetsov that you see whereas for Vegas um they are relying on defensive a lot more and yeah there's the Shea Theodore thing man I uh, if you're a Ducks fan and you're watching this like I, I, what's 
what's going through your head. I mean, it's it's crazy watching that first round series against San Jose where they were just they were just so listless. And you look at some of the defensemen they're they're using, and then you think back to like last year, for example, where at one point in the playoffs they had like what Cam Fowler, Hampus Lindholm, Sammy, Sammy Vatanen, Brandon Montour, Shea Theodore, and Josh Manson as their as their sixth defenseman. And then this year it's like. Uh, Kevin Bieksa and Francois Beauchemin. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> Poor Bieksa. He's just, you know, a few years too late to be name checked in the playoffs. Mm, yes. Yeah. So, no, Shea Theodore is amazing. Um, and Schmidt, yeah, it's, he's been great. And just his skating is just on another level. And obviously, like the end to end rushes where he's taking it from his own zone and creating scoring chances are, are one thing and, and they're breathtaking. But, his ability to sort of keep up with attackers and just be so relentless without necessarily being like overly physical. It just like, he's just constantly poking away at the puck with his stick and, and maintaining that, that gap control that we always love to see. And that's one sort of, that's, that's one subplot of like him uh, matching up with Ovechkin that I'm very, very curious to watch how that unfolds and whether um, he's actually able to give Ovechkin a bit of problems as opposed to just kind of sitting back and trying to block shots is like getting, in his face and trying to sort of not even give him opportunities to shoot as often as possible and maybe push him back out uh, more towards the blue line like we were talking about. Uh, that's going to be something to watch as well. Yeah, I feel like, man, shutting down Ovechkin, I just, you, you look at every playoff series he's ever played and like there have been series where he hasn't necessarily been great, but for the most part, it's just, you know, things not going right for him more than shutting him down. Cause I'm trying to think of like, what do you want to do ideally with Ovechkin, because I don't think you necessarily want to get him mad, mm, no. right? Because I feel like Matt Ovechkin just, like, pops a hat trick in four minutes or something. Mm. But, like, if, say, like, Nate Schmidt is matched up against him, and he has the speed to to stay with him, and he just consistently gets stick on puck, you know? Like, he's just blocking shots, standing them into the rafters over and over again. Is that also not just going to make Ovi super mad? <laughs> He'll go, like super Ovechkin and find a way it just seems like you've got to find a way to like make Ovechkin's game quiet and with the way he's played in this playoff these playoffs I don't know if that's possible right now I I think he's just so amped and he's having so much fun that you got to kind of maybe just play his line mates you know and if you can prevent them from getting him the puck that's probably your best chance and you don't have to necessarily worry about where Ovechkin is. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. Well, he's, I think you sort of just have to reconcile the fact that like, he's going to get his, like even, mm-hmm. even, uh, you know, throughout the years when they haven't had the postseason team success to show for it, like his numbers have still been <laughs> off the charts in terms of uh shot and goal generation. And it's, there's only so much you can do with that. Um, I guess, you know, the, the best way would just be make him spend as much time in, in his own zone as possible. And yeah. especially in these first two games in Vegas. And then when they get back there later in the series, if Galant's able to get that Marshall line out against them a lot, and we've seen, you know, they are awesome at sort of just cycling in the offensive zone and keeping the puck there. Um, you know, that's obviously going to be one way to neutralize it, where if he's spending most of his shift, just running around in a defensive zone trying to get the puck back, it's going to make it much more difficult for him to do what he wants to do on the other end of the ice. So I guess that's probably the best bet you have because as soon as the puck gets moving the other way, I mean, he's just so impossible to corral. And then playing now with, you know, it was Baxter for years now with Kuznetsov, like he's just such a magician with the puck and you have to account for him as well. So you can't 
just completely like sag off. And then as soon as you go towards Kuznetsov, like he's such a brilliant uh, playmaker and just sees the ice so well that he can get the the puck to Ovechkin like that. That one two on one in the Tampa Bay series, I think it might have been game two. Or yeah, I think it was game two where yeah, Kuznetsov was coming down and Ovechkin was on the other side. It was a two on one, and the defenseman sprawled out, and it looked like he was gonna force Kuznetsov out of into an impossible angle where he couldn't really do anything with it. And Kuznetsov just like waited to the last possible second and then flipped a beautiful backhand pass around the defenseman to Ovechkin for an easy tap in on the other side. And I was like, man, it's like you can't that type of patience and creativity and and puck moving ability like you can't really do anything about that if he's gonna do a play like that you just have to sort of tip your hat to tip your cap to him and just say kudos and just uh hope to get him next time and we've been seeing that a lot this postseason and if those two guys keep playing up to their capability like ultimately i don't think vegas is gonna have much of an option it's gonna be just i guess winning the other minutes when those guys aren't on the ice yeah and and i wonder if that's something that we'll see like maybe the first game vegas tries to match up and then after that they kind of realize that your best bet is to kind of accept that you're going to lose that match and then try to beat the rest of the guys. And then you maybe get the, uh, the Marshall line away from them because you've got more opportunity against the other lines. It's going to be so interesting to see the dynamics because, you know, all the focus is on this series. Now it's probably the most fun thing about the Stanley Cup final is, you know, there's, there's nothing else to focus on. You can (laughs) break down every tiny little play, however you want and uh, it never ends it's I, I have no idea what to expect because like I've picked against Washington every series um, I'm probably going <laughs> to pick against them, this one as well right I just so Washington is definitely think, winning the Stanley Cup yeah exactly which will be fun you know I would love to see Ovi win his first Stanley Cup it's nothing personal hmm. uh, I just I think the one thing that separates these teams for me is that Vegas is quite a bit better defensively, mm-hmm. uh, not just in terms of uh, volume, but in terms of quality. They're they're really good at keeping things simple in front of Mark Andre Fleury, and that's a big reason why he has that gaudy save percentage. Not to diminish anything that he's done because he's been fantastic, but I'm I'm always nervous. Like you look at last year, right? And we talked about Pekarene and being not completely sold that he was going to maintain that performance. And I think part of the reason for that is that you look at Rene's performance in the the series against Anaheim and you could kind of see the play deteriorating, right? right. Even though they won, he was not that good. Yeah. Fleury hasn't really had that yet, but I mean, we've watched Marc-Andre Fleury for like 15 years now, uh, including the world juniors. And we know that he's not a 947 goaltender and he has had periods in the playoffs where he's been very, very bad. I'm not necessarily saying that's going to happen in the Stanley Cup final, but is he going to be as good in this final with all these days off as he has been the rest of the playoffs? I, I don't think you can count on it. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely can't count on it. Um, I think it'd be crazy to expect anyone to keep up this performance, but it's, it's tricky because, I completely agree with you. And like the rational perspective says, like, just like with Renee last year, you know, things could really unravel very quickly in, in this game and especially at that position. And um, all of a sudden the dialogue changes quite a bit if that happens. At the same time, they only really need like four to seven more games worth of this. And that's yeah. the crazy part. So it's like everyone that's screaming about regression and sustainability and all that. It's like, all right, yeah, that's great for sure. But literally in like five games they could be hoisting the stanley cup 
which is just yeah, or less. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's like, insane. So it's like that's it's it's unlikely, but at the same time, I think yeah, in in that short of a period of time, like literally everything is on the table. So I think if you told me that he got pulled three times in the series and had like an eight fifty save percentage, I'd be like, okay, like yeah, that I guess that makes sense. If you told me he had two or three shutouts and kept this up i'd be like yeah i mean i guess that also makes sense like i i can see both of those things happening it's it's that's just how the nature of the position and the playoffs work and um trying to figure out what it's going to be is seems like a fool's errand and but it's ultimately you're like we spent 45 minutes here talking about all these matchups at the end of the day like just like every series is going to come down to flurry versus holpy and which goalie is better probably in terms of who's going to win the series yeah go with the old jeff merrick quote that yeah. uh the, he likes to call hockey goalie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's quoting somebody else there. So I'm kind of doing the old Michael Scott, right, Wayne Gretzky yes. thing. But yes. uh, I feel like one of the funniest things about this series is that in order for the Golden Knights to not win, they have to lose more games than they've lost in the last three rounds combined in the next seven. Right. Which is stupid. Yes. Like this is an expansion team. Like I, I love it because it's an amazing story and like possibly like if they win the cup, is it not the best? pure story that's ever happened in NHL history. Like it's unreal, but at the same time, I love it also because it kind of shows that nobody knows what they're doing. Yes. Well, and that's and if, if Vegas isn't good next year, it's even better in a way because yeah. it shows even they didn't know what they were doing. Right. Which is like the ultimate indictment, not even like against hockey, it's just like against us. It's like, why are we mm-hmm. spending so much time thinking about this stuff? Let's just all just go outside and go for a walk and <laughs> use our energy and time uh, to do more important things in this world than talking about this stupid sport where we have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Seriously. <I'm, laughs> can you tell it's been a long season? I'm, uh, I'm a little beaten down by by this year. It's, man, it's, it's crazy. We're coming up on June now. It's nice and sunny out here in Vancouver and the Stanley Cup final hasn't even started. This, uh, it seems like the, years get, the seasons get longer and longer every year. Yeah, although it, it felt like this one, like the third round was over earlier than any that I can remember, right? Mm-hmm. It was almost like, it felt like mid-May. I know it was like the 22nd or something, but uh, five days off between now and the Stanley Cup Finals is a little bit extreme. I wish they would have found a way to shorten that a little bit, but I kind of get it at the same time. You want your best product, and maybe those five days will uh, you know, give us a little bit of a healthier backstrom so we see some more flash from him and maybe some guys in the golden Knights get some extra time to, to rest up. And I, I get that from the NHL's perspective. I think they did the same thing last year where they kind of, they're, they're starting to set the date of the Stanley cup final before the playoffs. Right. right. So there's no matter what, there's going to be some time between which it's kind of like football in a way, right. Where you're, you're trying to create hype in a way as well, which I can, I appreciate that, but yeah, definitely when it gets to June, I want to be outside. But, and I'm going to have to move my TV outside. But you look at this, yeah, you look at Vegas' schedule this postseason, and they've had like, what, like five to seven days off between each series, I think? Yeah, like, I think it's some, crazy. Somebody posted they had like 39 days off heading into the Stanley Cup Finals. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, that's when you're taking care of business so quickly. Um, that's the great thing for and that's that's also an interesting point here with with flurry's performance uh you know we've seen over the past handful of years um you know teams have sort of wised up to the idea that you're not seeing 
starters play like 70 games in the regular season anymore and then another what 15 to 20 if you go on a long playoff run like it's just and it's just unfeasible for a goalie to hold up under that much attrition for that long and and still maintain his performance and with flurry um you know he very well could have been in the vesna trophy discussion had he played more games and i believe he only started 46 games because of injury this year but i'm sure he'll gladly take it because with that and now all this rest between the series like he's heading like i imagine he's heading in to the Stanley Cup final as fresh as a starting goalie who's been playing all year, like conceivably could. So like, that's also got to be a bit of advantage. And obviously with Holtby, the fact that down the stretch, Grubauer is playing a lot more instead of him, like he should be fine as well. But it, I we keep preaching for teams to start paying attention to this stuff and start using their backups more throughout the regular season. But this is like another example of that sort of playing out where it's like, yeah, maybe your starter should only play somewhere between 40 and 50 games realistically if you have a competent backup. Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where you have to wonder for for teams that are paying their goalies like ten million a year, not mentioning anyone. Mm. That uh, who you know, could you're you not, possibly be talking about? <laughs> you know, uh, not that they really had a choice on that one, but right. uh, it, it's it's not the league anymore where a goalie can play you know seventy three games like Martin Brodeur or seventy eight games like Martin Brodeur and then still have enough energy to to go on a long playoff run. It's it's a faster game. There are more shots, uh, more scoring chances. I I I like the way the game is evolving as much as like it, it kind of diminishes the impact of those great goaltenders in a way, which kind of sucks because I like I grew up as a goaltender. I like goaltending performances almost as much as you know the the high scoring games. So that kind of sucks, but it's almost like you have to balance the idea of what you expect out of a goaltender in the regular season in order to get those best goaltenders in the playoffs. Right. Like Braden Holtby is one of the best goalies in the NHL. He had a poor regular season, but because of him playing less, are we seeing this Braden Holtby in the playoffs? Not that he hasn't been great in other playoffs. I think his playoff average save percentage is like 930. But uh, yeah. I think yeah, like it's like the best all time or something. He's he's uh, yeah. he's a playoff performer. But you know he needed to be traded last year. It was all his fault. <laughs> um, is there anything else in this series that we should be watching for? Or we should be talking about like so we talked about the goaltending. Uh, we talked about sort of the line matching. Um, talked about the top guys. Like I don't I don't I don't know. Is there? I feel like we've kind of hit it all. Like I'm. I feel like we've talked about Washington, especially quite a bit in, the, in this in this um, preview, because yeah. with Vegas, like the stories at this point are just we've talked about them all year and they've been just so beaten down that it's like there's nothing really new to say there. Whereas with this Washington team, there's more stuff to unpack. I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like there's so much focus on that top line in Vegas that I wouldn't be surprised if we see some other players that are not on that top line start to shine through in the Stanley cup final, just because they're kind of due in a way as much as, you know, everyone likes to talk about how Vegas has been lucky. Um, I don't necessarily agree more that they've been more lucky than, you know, any other Stanley cup finalist in the last 10 years. I mean, I think there's a component that you have to be lucky yes. uh, to, to make it this far. You have to be good and lucky, but I would be surprised if a guy like David Perron didn't have a little bit of a bigger impact in, in this final. Um, maybe James Neal, if he's feeling good. Yeah, James Neal is going to do something in this series. I don't know if it's going to be positive or negative for the Golden Knights, but I he's feel confident saying we'll be talking about James Neal. Yeah, he. It, the question is who will hurt somebody 
first, James Neal or Tom Wilson. They're just going to collide into each other. and That would be for the best, probably. <laughs> yes, for the best. Um, yeah, no, that, and obviously like a guy like Alex Tuck has been um, a revelation in this postseason, and yes. I could see him doing something and, and people um, you know marveling at his combination of size and skill. So, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of guys there that um, could contribute. But but same with Washington. I mean, listen, we saw Burakovsky in that game seven. We've seen Rana as he's gotten more opportunities as the postseason's gone along. Like, to be playing at this stage of the season, you obviously need the top foundational guys to drive the bus, but you also are inevitably going to need other kind of supporting cast guys to step up, whether it's veteran guys or whether it's, you know, young guys who are sort of gonna make themselves be on our radar as breakout candidates for next season and washington certainly has those guys and as much as we talk about ovechkin and kuznetsov and backstrom and oshi like burkovsky having continuing that and having a big series here after having a very underwhelming season um would be a very interesting wrinkle to throw at vegas because just having more than just that one or two scoring lines is going to make it more difficult especially when lucas pisa is going to be out on the ice and if you can take advantage of that matchup, that'll go a long way towards helping you, uh, helping you win, win some of these games. So yeah, like I'm, I'm very curious to see which teams, uh, supporting cast can step up and, and contribute offensively because we know the top guys are going to do there and, uh, hold up their end of the bargain. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm interested to see if guys like Ryan Carpenter and Eric Holla can continue to, to make big impacts. Cause like there are so many guys on Vegas, like, Carlson's just the biggest one that you look at their career up to this point and you're like, how is this happening? Right. You know, like how are they n- not just putting up numbers, but like the numbers are there because the underlyings are there too. Like a- out of nowhere. Like I did, I had no idea who Ryan Carpenter was before this season. You know, like I, there's so many guys in that team who've been so impressive. Uh, I, I'm super interested to see if Pierre Al- Edward Bellamar is going to be able to like, score the Stanley Cup final winning goal. You know, like it, it just seems like in a way Vegas is not just good, but the team of destiny with all these players that everybody doubts consistently finding ways to make big impacts. Okay, so here's a here's a uh, thought exercise question for you and then we'll uh, we'll end the show. So I guess regardless of how this series plays out, um, for Vegas this summer, because obviously there's going to be some big names available, whether it's in free agency or, or via trade, and they have a ton of cap space, and they have some interesting draft capital coming in the next couple of years. Um, like, how much... If you're George McPhee, how tempting would it be to view the success this year as, like, sort of an excuse to really speed up that timeline and instead of properly building this thing up and continuing to do, it, do so over the next couple of years, just going like, uh, let's just trade a bunch of this stuff and use the cap space and try to go for another run next season. Cause obviously I don't think it would be crazy to be like, you know, this is going to be a cup contender again next season. But at the same time, I don't think they're necessarily as big of a fluke as we might've thought earlier in the year either. So there's like some legitimacy to this. And obviously if you add a guy like Eric Carlson or John Tavares or whoever, like that would obviously help quite a bit and make your team significantly better. So I'm just curious to see what their sort of agenda is going to be like, um, this summer. And they're sort of one of those, they're one of those teams that isn't like the highest leverage position because what they decide to do could impact a bunch of other things and have a huge domino effect on the rest of the league. Yeah. I think what they do this summer kind of shows if, they're playing 
4D chess like everyone believes, mm. or if they're just just like everybody else, but they kind of just got the right connection together and lightning in a bottle this season. Because I think the big trap is to try to go for it again, right? Like you, you have that little bit of success and no, not a little bit. They made the Stanley Cup final, <laughs> but uh, you have this success. That they got, they have expected. to defend their Stanley Cup championship next year. Have to it, watch. Yeah, exactly. Right. But uh, I think the smart person sees this and they're like, okay, we want a Stanley Cup. We're an expansion franchise. We've now built this fan base that never existed, and we've got something right away that has hooked these people in. This gives us a chance to maybe not win next year or the year after, but to build a team that can win three years from now or two years from now, four years from now for an extended period. So that would be my expectation just because I don't – I don't think even the people at the top in Vegas expected this yes. in any way. No. So I, I would assume that they would still go with the building route. But at the same time, if you're you know, looking that way, I don't think it hurts you long term to sign a player of the caliber of John Tavares or finding a way to get Eric Carlson. Just because, you know, like we, we talk a lot about like when players decline and, uh, you know, not signing guys for big money after 30. But I think in large part the the worry with that is like in second tier players right so yep. like you don't want to sign James Neal from 30 to 35 necessarily but you probably wouldn't mind signing uh pick an example out of the past Phil Castle hmm. or not so not Phil Castle uh Jerome McGinley Phil right. Castle I'd be a little bit more nervous about right but uh a lot of those players can keep up not they might not be worth that entirety of the contract, but they have enough money to play around with that it should be okay. I would have no hesitation whatsoever about signing Carlson to a ridiculous deal. Yeah, or Tavares. Uh, yeah, or Tavares. Like those are guys they have no major contracts that they're stuck with right now. So like if you're gonna get stuck with anything, yeah, for a star player, that's that's the best course of action. You know, it, it's the mid tier guys that you got to be really careful about. You know, it, not to uh, continually bring it back to Montreal, but not that he wasn't a star for a while. But Max Pacioretty, mm. you know, you don't necessarily want to attach yourself, to, you know, eight years, eight million or something right. to a scoring winger who will probably be more of a twenty five goal scorer for that stretch than a thirty five goal scorer, right? Yeah, I know it sort of goes against um, this entire aura that they've had this year and sort of this like the way they've positioned themselves as this ragtag eclectic group of players who are all playing above their head. But and with all due credit to guys like Marc-Andre Fleury and Jonathan Marchessault and, and while Bill Carlson, I think it'd be like fun as hell having like an actual legitimate superstar in Vegas and sort of just yeah. them just embracing this and just being like, you know what? Screw it. We're not only going to make it to the cup final, but we're also going to load up this summer and bring in a bunch of guys and try to do this. Like, I, I just think that would be such a fun story to, to monitor this summer. But you're right. The, the best, typically with this stuff, the best course of action is probably to take a step back and think rationally and not commit yourself, overcommit yourself long term uh, when you don't necessarily know how good you actually are. So that's, uh, well, that's a story for another day. We'll have a lot of time this summer to talk about potential, uh, machinations and other moves and stuff like that um andrew plug some stuff what uh what are you working on these days i know you're you're writing like a madman for sportsnet but do you have anything uh anything on the horizon or are you just gonna yeah. wait to see how these games play out 
Yeah, I can't wait to for the season to be over. To be honest, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm getting tired. But uh, yeah, I have four articles a week: three for Sportsnet, one for RDS, is my usual. And uh, I've also got uh, this thing you might have seen on Twitter called the Point that I'm working on. That uh, we're doing uh, little videos for each game, and we do uh, in-game graphics with uh, you know shot quality uh, of each team to show uh, what's going on in the game. More game stories than you know predicting anything. It's yes. uh, it's more fun. Uh, so check that out uh, at PNT Hockey on Twitter. And we're on uh, Facebook and YouTube as well. We're on Instagram too, but uh, we haven't really delved into the Instagram stuff much just because. You guys on Snapchat? No. No. <laughs> I am too. Uh, I'm running a lot of the social media and like I'm doing Facebook on my own, YouTube on my own, and uh, Instagram on my own. Uh, Twitter, we have a bit more help because it's, it's our biggest platform right now. Right. And uh, I don't like Snapchat. So. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, Snapchat and, and, uh, and hockey stats. It's a natural, uh, natural yeah, link between it, those two. It fits. The main thing I think when I think hockey stats is Snapchat. you need 10 seconds to process. It. Yes, absolutely. Um, all right, man. This was a lot of fun. Um, I'm looking forward to the series. I think, uh, you know, both on the ice and off the ice, there's a bunch of fascinating stories to follow. And I think ho- the hockey itself is going to be played at a really high level. And um, I'm excited to to check this stuff out. I believe we get like an extra day off between the travel days. So between games two and three and then between games four and five. So we'll have some more time to actually digest some of this stuff. And uh, yeah, let's get you back on at some point and we'll uh, we'll see where we went wrong, where we went right and uh, how the series is going on. Absolutely, man. It was a pleasure, and it always is. All right, chat soon. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. Mm-hmm.